1: Now, from our nation's capital, this is
2: Bloomberg Sound On. Congress, we need to secure additional supply now. Now.
3: She had the qualifications, the experience, and the credentials that we require of a
0: Supreme Court justice.
1: Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective
4: from D.C.'s top names. Touchdown confirmed at 6.28 a.m. Central Time. We are like my space brothers and space sister.
1: Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. President Biden makes a cry for more COVID money. U.S. intelligence says Putin is being misled by his own advisors. And Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson picks up a Republican vote. How about it? Welcome to the Fastest Hour in Politics. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, where we will be joined momentarily by Congressman Brian Higgins, Democrat from New York, member of the Budget and Ways and Means Committees in the House. We'll get analysis from our signature panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us for the hour. An American astronaut sets a record for the longest space flight ever and gets a ride home from the Russians. We're going to talk space relations with a pilot and author named Jeff Wise, Bloomberg columnist, who says the space station is now suddenly facing a dire future. So much for de-escalation, right? The reversal in the markets you just heard about from Charlie followed a reversal in the narrative around Ukraine. Your skepticism was apparently well-deserved after Moscow had said it was cutting military activity in Kiev and across the north today. The Kremlin says no breakthroughs. So nothing has really changed with Russia. And the White House says Vladimir Putin, well, doesn't actually know what's going on anyway. setting U.S. intelligence, White House Communications Director Kate Benningfield in the briefing room today says Putin's inner circle, whatever that is, won't tell him the truth.
5: I certainly am not a spokesperson for the Kremlin and cannot speak to what is in Vladimir Putin's head. Uh, what I can say uh, is, of course, we have information that Putin felt misled by the Russian military, which has resulted in persistent tension between Putin and his military leadership. Mm-hmm. We believe that Putin is being misinformed by his advisors about how badly the Russian military is performing and how the Russian economy is being crippled by sanctions Imagine because his senior advisors to are too afraid to tell him the truth.
1: Yeah, but he didn't love that. Uh, this after the president spoke to Volodymyr Zelensky today, call ran about an hour. It was not the war, though, that President Biden talked about in an address to the nation today. It was COVID, making another call to Congress to pass COVID relief money.
2: Congress has to provide the funding America needs to continue to fight COVID-19. We're, at, we're already seeing the consequences of congressional inaction. The monoclonal antibodies, take monoclonal antibodies, for example. Yep. They've helped save lives. This isn't partisan. It's medicine. That's a
1: pretty good line. Uh, I bet you hear it again. President says testing kits are also running out, vaccine supplies will follow. And that's where we begin today with Congressman Brian Higgins, Democrat from New York. Congressman, welcome back to Bloomberg.
3: Happy evening with you. I
1: know you're getting busy on the president's budget that dropped this week, $5.8 billion. Uh, before we talk about next fiscal year, though, I'd like to ask you quickly about this one that we we're in, because Congress did not include the COVID funding that the Biden administration requested, as you well know, And you probably heard the president on this again today asking for money for testing, for therapeutics. Can you tell our listeners if these programs will be funded this year?
3: Well, they have to be funded. I mean, we saw what happened to the economy over the past 24 months. And the amount of money that the federal government had to spend uh, to develop vaccines, to keep the uh, American economy and, by extension, the world economy from collapsing, so not to be prepared for the next iteration of this virus is, is foolhardy. So I suspect that Congress will be very receptive to the White House's uh, request to provide more COVID testing and other uh, forms of funding.
1: Well, I know there was a lot of pushback on this the first time around with the Omnibus from from Democrats as well. It wasn't the typical COVID politics here. There were concerns about offsets and using Unused COVID money in the states. Do you think this should be offset if it's a standalone bill?
3: I don't think it's is it, 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 important. Look, if we can can finance uh, three wars in the Middle East to the tune of six trillion dollars off budget, we can certainly uh, fund uh, COVID relief uh, for the people of America, uh, whether it's you know on budget or off budget. Yeah. Uh, but the reality is, we can't afford not to do it because we have seen. Uh, over the past two years, uh, what a devastating impact it has, not only in terms of lives uh, and illness, but also uh, in terms of the economy.
1: There have been reports that there could be a deal on this at some point soon. Are you hearing that? What are you hearing on the committee level about that?
3: I'm hearing that there will be a deal, and it's a question of, you know, what the contours of the deal are, but I'm certain that it'll provide the kind of relief that's needed.
1: In terms of this new budget, as I mentioned, the White House says it seeks fiscal responsibility in lowering Deficit spending by a trillion dollars, that relies, though, on a minimum tax on income and unrealized gains for the super wealthy. Do you support that approach?
3: Uh, I support looking at that. I mean, keep in mind there is, you know, a strategy that people buy an asset, build an asset, borrow against the asset. And then they die never paying taxes on very significant uh, wealth accumulation. And I think that, you know, you look at people that are making a lot of money. Uh, they should be paying something. And uh, everything they're doing is perfectly legal under the current tax code. Yeah. But I think we have to find a way to capture a, a, a fair contribution from from those folks.
1: I have to admit, Congressman, uh, we're hearing, you know, about a backlog of tens of millions of tax returns this year, we you wouldn't you have to infuse a lot of money to the IRS to beef up the the workforce to help enforce those rules?
3: Well, why wouldn't we be doing that? I mean, that's you know what we depend on to finance uh, uh, you know the federal budget, and some people that can't afford you know lawyers and accountants uh, aren't going to be able to. Uh, they're going to have to pay their fair share, and others should should as well. So we should clearly, when you talk about self-defeating, yeah. clearly we should be fully funding the Internal Revenue Service. Look, I don't like to pay taxes either, believe me. Um, but everybody should pay their fair share, and if some people pay and others don't, uh, that's a problem that has to be corrected by Congress as it relates to the IRS.
1: How many people do you need to hire at the IRS as a, as a member of the Ways and Means Committee? Do you have a sense of that, how we don't have to go through this again next year, never mind adding new responsibilities?
3: Well, I'll put it this way. The, the, uh, the IRS commissioner, uh, previous one, testified before the Senate last year saying that we're losing a trillion dollars a year in uncollected taxes. So whatever that amount is to have the personnel to be able to do the audits and everything else mm-hmm. is a small investment relative to the amount of money uh, that we would collect. And if you look at, you know, debt and deficits, you're talking about a trillion dollars in uncollected taxes each year. That is, a, that is a very, very significant amount. And I think most Americans have a fundamental sense of fairness. And if you uh, make a lot of money, you should pay your fair share
1: talking with Congressman Brian Higgins of New York here on Bloomberg Sound On, and there's a very real debate underway about military spending. This would be the biggest Pentagon budget ever, as I read. Yet I see the Defense Department, for instance, cut orders for F-35s, moving some other pieces around the board. Is that because there's not enough money for what the Defense Department is asking for? Is this being spent the right way, Congressman?
3: Uh, I think there's substantial money in the Pentagon, the Department of Defense. Uh, I think what we need to do is make sure that we are adequately funded to make sure that we have the best equipment available, and we're seeing that right now. Keep in mind that that the United States, uh, Canada, and uh, the UK uh, have been helping in training uh, Ukrainian military uh, since 2014, and all of the anti-tank missiles, the anti-aircraft missiles, and now – anti-warship missiles are coming uh, from the west uh, through Poland and into Ukraine. Uh, so it's very, very important. First principle of NATO is uh, uh, a Europe Poland free in protecting the continent, from Soviet and now Russian aggression. And I think this is being tested for the first time since World War II, and it underscores the importance of being well-prepared. We're dealing with a guy that, you know, th- think about this. You know, the Middle East and, and recently in Eastern Europe, Russia in particular, yep. our enemies, including Putin, are weaponizing our addiction to uh, oil and gas to finance their wars against freedom and democracy uh, in Ukraine. The uh, United States is not energy independent right now. Right. Uh, U.S. imported 672 thousand barrels per day of Russian crude oil and refined products. So, how do you incentivize
1: uh, domestic drillers to produce more? Because a lot of them say they won't. They they feel like they got burned last time around. They'll end up with a glut. They'd rather give their money back to shareholders.
3: Well, look, I think there's a number of ways to do that. Certainly, we are not going to eliminate entirely uh, fossil fuels. Uh, what we can do is move toward energy independence, and that's why this budget is important. That's uh, a 32% increase in clean energy and uh, 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 clean energy manufacturing. It's uh, $1.5 in electric charging infrastructure. Seventy-five percent of Americans – 75% of Americans, 75% of Americans yep. say – that they want an electric vehicle. Fifty percent are reluctant to go after one or purchase one yeah. uh, because they have uncertainty about their charging station.
1: You know, the great debate right now is where's the line? Because if you start pulling back on 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 fossil fuel production in mm-hmm. an effort to transition to renewable, you're going to have to pay more in the interim at some point, aren't you?
3: Well, no. I, look, I, I, here's what we know. We know that there's a line, as you said. Uh, I don't know where the line is, and neither do you, and neither does anybody else.
1: God knows what I don't. We,
3: what we can do, and I don't either, but what we can do and what we should do is find a balanced approach because everybody else is doing that. You talk about you the know, supply, supply chain for electric vehicles. The top 25 countries for raw materials to make lithium-ion batteries, number one. China with eighty percent of the global refining capacity. Number fifteen is the United States. So we just have to do much, much better. look yeah. the, you know, the, the, the Stone age didn't end because we ran out of stone and the oil <laughs> the oil age won't end because you run out of oil. That's a good the oil one. age will end when you come up with a cleaner, quieter, uh, 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 eventually cheaper uh, way to do it. and uh, we know that you know innovation, by its very definition, it's yeah. inefficient. It's trial and error. So what we have to do is continue to move uh, toward alternative energy sources. And we're seeing countries like China, You know, I, I hear you know a lot of my colleagues on both sides of the aisle, yeah. they complain about China, as do I. But we have to be tough on China, but we have to be tougher on ourselves about China.
1: Well, how about you pass that China Competes Act?
3: It definitely needs to be done. One version was passed in the Senate. Now they're in the House, we will reconcile the differences and get yeah. that
1: done. Congressman Brian Higgins, Democrat from New York. It's great to have you with us on Bloomberg. Appreciate the insights today. Thanks, Joe. Take care. Coming up, we assemble the panel with the latest on Ukraine and news on President Biden's pick for the Supreme Court. At least one Republican will vote for Ketanji Brown-Jackson. Rick and Jeannie are up next. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg.
3: Stifel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at Forum.com.
1: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So no one is telling Vladimir Putin the truth, as we mentioned earlier this hour. The White House says Putin has been misinformed by advisors about his military performance in Ukraine and the effect of sanctions on his country's economy. You can read about it. Jordan Fabian and Josh Wingrove from our White House team on the terminal right now. So he thinks he's winning. Now I'm whispering like Joe Biden. But what's the strategy of putting this out there? in the public arena today. The White House says it had to declassify this intelligence so we could all know. Let's assemble the panel and talk about it with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis back together today. Jeannie, what do you make of this? It almost feels like the White House putting out intelligence, for instance, but it's hearing about a chemical attack that could be looming or a false flag or something. Is this the latest thing that they're trying to turn around somehow, reverse psychology with Vladimir Putin?
6: Yeah, Joe, I'm glad you were whispering so Putin doesn't hear you and know the truth about what's going on. Um, You know, it it just it is stunning because how isolated does he have to be? And it does go in concert with what we've been hearing, you know, pre-COVID, COVID COVID and after that he's incredibly isolated. And you look at how he has berated people close to him in public for disagreeing with him. I'm not so (laughs) sure this is a big surprise. I wouldn't want to tell him the truth that you have (laughs) walked into a disaster for your own political political fortune for the future of Russia. So I don't think it is quite stunning, but I do think it's important that the White House, you know, puts this information out there so that if it can trickle into Russia, Russians can see what they are dealing with.
1: It's like the setup for a South Park episode and and there have been already, there's already at least one about Putin. Rick, is this just about embarrassing Vladimir? Because I know you can't probably watch these reports if you live in Russia, but he hears the Western media.
5: He hears the Western media. Uh, his top lieutenants hear the Western media. Uh, I, I think it's as much for uh, the denigration of Putin within Western media, right? I mean, like this is good psychological operations. Yeah. Uh, you know, if Putin wants to be seen as a world leader and he's seen as out of touch within his own country, um, you know, it, it creates this diversion to him. And so I think, I think this is a good use of intelligence if indeed it is, or if it's just good misinformation. Uh, it's It's a wartime and, and all this stuff is certainly applicable. And I think making Putin seem small and out of touch is exactly yeah. what this administration strategy is. Regardless of whether they have intelligence about it, it's a good strategy.
1: A knock on his uh, his own ego, Rick, or your his world standing, what's the outcome? What are they trying to achieve though?
5: Well, I think they're trying to uh, create a situation within Russia, right, that, yeah. um, you know, they can create some dissonance amongst the people. So there's always that aspect of it, right, right okay. that your leader is out of touch. But yeah. I think also, you know, they're constantly managing a situation where they're in competition to keep uh, our allies and our friends and in some of the people on the fence uh, from uh from getting weak on this right i mean it's a bloody nasty affair uh and vladimir putin is a butcher and and so it's kind of scary to be on the coalition opposed to him and i think all this helps keep that coalition together and keep people who otherwise might be siding with putin uh to uh, think twice about that
1: one of the other big breakers today uh and it may not have come as a huge surprise to you but but we learned that judge katanji brown jackson President Biden's Supreme Court nominee will get at least, I love these headlines, will get a bipartisan vote. How about at least one Republican vote? Guess who?
2: I decided that she
3: had the qualifications, the experience, and the credentials that we require of a Supreme Court justice and warranted my support.
1: Susan Collins, Republican from Maine. Jeannie, you're not surprised, are you?
6: I, I'm not surprised. You know, Susan Collins has had a history um, of voting for Supreme Court nominees, many of them. And she was one of the couple people that we thought maybe if there was a Republican to go over. And, you know, surely the White House is very, very happy about this turn of events and this announcement. You know, from a broader perspective, the idea that we are now describing one vote from a Republican as a bipartisan win <laughs> tells you where says, we are. It says I mean, a lot
4: about
1: the media. It,
6: it, it does. And, and, you know, there may be a few others, you know, Mitt Romney. Some people are saying Tom Tillis, you know, Bill Haggerty. There's a few others. Maybe she gets two or three. You know, it doesn't it's not (laughs) how I learned how to define bipartisanship when I was a student. But things have changed at this point.
1: Well, so I'll ask the dumb question, Rick. Does this this give anyone cover to to vote as well uh, from the Republican side of the aisle?
6: No, uh,
5: Susan Collins is a maverick on this stuff. I mean, hey. remember, she voted against Brett Kavanaugh. I mean, like so yeah. maybe she's just counterintuitive when it comes to Supreme Court nominees. And uh, and and look, I mean, she is very independent. She just won re-election, hard-fought race. I, I, I think shame on a lot of Democrats who oppose her because she might be the best Republican they could have uh, in that coalition. So uh, I think we've all known that this was a done deal, you know, since the get-go, as long as the Democrats could hold their own rank. Since Manchin
1: so, said so, yeah. Yeah,
5: this nominee was gonna make it through. So uh I think it's a nice signal. Uh, I think it helps the Republican Party to have somebody look at this and say, Yeah, you know, we're gonna cross the aisle on this. Right. Whether it creates a stampede of one or two other Republicans, I I would doubt it. <laughs> but um, you know, we'll 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 see shortly.
1: A stampede, says Rick Davis. Uh Kirsten sent a yes, I presume, Jeannie, right. So how's this gonna go down as one of the the closest Supreme Court votes of all time, therefore a reflection upon society? Or is this just what people expect from Washington? No matter what we're voting on, it's cut down the middle.
6: I love how Rick is saying stampede with maybe one yes, or two right. more. <laughs> so, you know, I think people are expecting that it's gonna be very tight and and it is. It is where we are in this moment. It's important to say she met twice, the second time yesterday with Susan Collins, and Susan Collins attributed that conversation to alleviating her concerns. So that does speak about Katanji Brown Jackson, but this mm-hmm. is where we are, and provided everybody is healthy and shows up, we're probably looking at, you know, fifty one, fifty two for her, and that's about
0: it.
1: It'll be April 4th, from what we understand, but we'll keep posted on that. Rick and Jeannie will stay with us, our signature panel on the Wednesday edition of Sound On. As we turn to space later for some direction on this planet, Jeff Weiss will be with us on the fastest hour in politics. This is Bloomberg. It was a refreshing sight today, at least a diversion, to see a Russian Soyuz capsule touchdown in Kazakhstan with two Russian cosmonauts and an American astronaut named Mark Vandehei aboard. Vandehei actually set a record: longest human spaceflight, as we heard from the NASA play-by-play.
3: Vandehei and Dubrov completing 355 days in space, a uh,
1: very long mission that began uh, last April 9th of 2021 with a launch on the Soyuz MS-18 spacecraft from the Baikonur Cosmodrome in Kazakhstan. 355 days in space. The Russian commander, Anton Shkaplerov thanked his crew, who he called his space brothers and space sisters, the image of them embracing before they left, all against the backdrop of the war in Ukraine. The future may not be so inspiring. We've talked about this a little bit. Jeff Y. is now writing for Bloomberg Businessweek. The space station confronts a dire future as U.S. and Russia ties collapse. And he joins us now. Jeff, thank you for being here. Russia controls the thrusters, right? The propulsion system that keeps the space station in orbit. What happens if they bail on this partnership?
7: Well, it's a very bad thing, obviously. You know, the space station was designed specifically to be a symbol of cooperation uh, between these two superpowers um, and it was designed so that each depended on the other. Uh, so this, the Russian part of the space station provides propulsion, uh, and the American side provides energy. So the Americans have these solar panels that provide electricity. Yep. Now, why does a space station need propulsion? Well, uh, there, there is a little bit, a tiny bit of atmosphere up there, enough that if you don't, from time to time, push it further back up, it yep. will, the orbit will degrade. And so, right. after nine months or a year, it you will
1: start falling down. to the earth.
7: Right. So, without that, obviously, this becomes an existential
2: issue.
1: Well, this is interesting. You also point out here uh, that it would take some doing, right? Like to actually unhook the the Russian module and so forth. You know, that that would it would be an extreme move. Uh, what if Russia just pulled its crew off? What would happen?
7: That would if they really wanted to just say, you know what, we're out of this. We don't want to do this anymore. We don't like you. You know, yeah. the, the the schism between us. Even if it hasn't come to a full blown war, we're out of here. They uh, would probably just remove their crew. Uh, say we're not providing these propulsion services anymore. The Americans could try to jury rig some kind of solution. You know, maybe fly up some kind of um, space capsule that can use its thrusters to to push it up. Um, But really, the people that I've talked to who are experts in this sort of thing tell me that it would take some time Mm -hmm. to to design and implement and and launch and attach a a proper replacement uh, propulsion module.
1: Would it take less than 9 to 12 months before we're splashing down? it
7: would take longer. Okay, so that's a problem. So the idea of us
1: buying them out, for instance, is not a real one.
7: Well, that's, that, we don't know what they're really, what, you know, the unpredictability of the Russians seems to be a, a motif lately. Yeah. Um, they've, they've sort of made these threatening announcements, um, sort of slightly ambiguous. They, they most recently, Dmitry Rogozin, the, the head of Roscosmos, the Russian equivalent of NASA, said that, um, they, that they are giving a deadline, which is tomorrow. Uh, by which if if uh, the U.S. and the West hasn't lifted certain sanctions that target Roscosmos, yeah. that they're going to retaliate. Now, how are they going to retaliate? Are they going to leave? Or are they going to whatever? We're going to have to wait. We'll, we'll find out tomorrow.
1: Deadline's tomorrow. Yeah. Says if uh, Americans want to get to the ISS, they could fly on their brooms. <laughs> he hasn't yeah. met Elon which, Musk, I guess. Yeah.
7: Well... You know, he, he this was an echo of a comment he made back in 2014 where we really were completely dependent on the Russians for human space launch. We canceled the, the space shuttle program yeah. abruptly. We didn't really expect to. It turned out that the thing had a proclivity to blow up, and so we had to cancel it quickly. We didn't have a replacement. We had to rely on the Soyuz that the Russians launched. And so, you know, it took some time to replace it. Finally, last year... Elon Musk, SpaceX, we, we, we're now able to get there without their help. Um, so we don't need to fly on our broomstick, uh, <laughs> you know, as he right. suggested. <laughs> we can fly there on, on a SpaceX, but uh, it, it, we, we still are dependent on them for at least for a little while.
1: There is some uh, precedent here, and I, I, I didn't know this until I read uh, your great piece. The ISS, as you write, is not the only space project uh, Royal by the fallout from the invasion of Ukraine, w- what else is Russia pulling out of here?
7: Well, Russia had been involved in in, in other kind of less huge projects, than, right? Space Realizing space it's out. not on this scale. Yeah, uh, but they they were involved in a uh, French launch facility uh, in uh, South Africa, South America. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were involved in a, a Mars probe. Um, as well, they, you know, they, a big business of the Russians is launching satellites from Baikonur in Kazakhstan, and they had um, a massive contract to launch these um, OneWeb satellites. These were going to be a rival for Elon Musk's constellation of, of internet satellites, yeah. uh, and they were already there. They were all ready to launch, and the war happened. The sanctions happened, Russia got, you know, testy and said, we're going to cancel this. And as I point out in the piece, like, it really looks like they've essentially killed their entire commercial launch uh, uh, industry, which is a big one. And frankly, Russia has two kinds of industry. It has like raw materials, yep. primarily oil and gas. Mm-hmm. And it has like a certain a certain amount of high tech, like aircraft and spacecraft and, and space launches. And so for them, in midst of this crisis, to essentially cut off their nose despite their face, uh, th- th- there's a lot of um, one might say irrational behavior apparently on the part of the Russians. So,
1: are we walking into? Uh, I, I, is, do you even call it a space race anymore with other nations uh, involved? You know, China's got its sights set on the moon. What a new level of competition! If the partnership ends with the U.S. and Russia, or do they not have any money to invest in space anymore?
7: I mean, the whole thing is such a mess. I, I, I don't think really the world space launch industry or the commercialization of space is really going to suffer, frankly, from the loss of the Russians because of, as you say, Elon Musk coming on, the Chinese yeah. coming on, India. You know, it's, it's, there's more and more people who have the technical capacity to put things in orbit more cheaply, probably, than the Russians are able to do it. So that's not really the issue. Um, but the issue is, you know, why did we get them involved in this in the first place? Because we wanted to, A, symbolize the peace between these, you know, long time at odds superpowers. And we wanted to, you know, um, give them jobs other than like launching nuclear weapons at people. You know, they have a very capable launch capability um, and we would rather use that they use it for peace. And so obviously all that is very much, um, pardon my pun, up in the air.
1: What is the plan right now, the lifespan of the ISS, if all
7: this goes as scheduled? Well, it's a bit ironic. Uh, The whole thing was scheduled to run down in uh, 2024. Uh And the Biden administration, just at the very end of December, had said, hey, we want to keep this thing going. You know, it still has some life left in it. It's, you know, it is this kind of magnificent and massive piece of engineering that's floating around up there in space. Let's keep it going until 2030. The Russians haven't really signaled that they're on board for that themselves, but since we pay for it anyway, I, I think we sort of assume that they go along for the ride. <laughs> right? Uh, you know, But who knows? But it does have a certain limited lifespan. Already there's a lot of equipment that's on the ISS that has is passed its lifespan and doesn't work anymore. Hmm. There comes a point where you just can't keep it going. It yeah. will have to deorbit. It will burn up and probably fly into the Pacific Ocean or something.
1: We'll dump that sucker in the ocean. As you write, there are now yeah. five Russians, four Americans, and a German on board, of course, We had the two departures, or the three departures here uh, today. And some think a Russian pullout would be good riddance. Is that how this story ends?
7: (laughs) That's right. Well, I talked to a a person who is in a space foundation here on Earth and has been watching this, a former uh, ground controller from uh, NASA, and just feels like, you know, enough of this nonsense. Like, we don't really... You know, there was a time when, you know, the ISS dates to a time when the Soviet Union had just collapsed. There was hope for democracy and capitalism and sort of the prospect of Russia rejoining the modern world order. Mm-hmm. That whole project seems somewhat bankrupt at this point, And I think maybe it's just time to say, you know, let's it's sometimes a it divorce is just exactly what's needed.
1: Jeff Weiss, thank you. I appreciate your time. Find the column, uh, Bloomberg Businessweek. Even if you just do a news search for NASA and the terminal, it'll come right up. I was looking forward to that conversation. I am really compelled by this story. How is this going to end? It's a real bit of symbolism here for what's going on. And we salute the explorers here on Sound On, who bring us a little perspective on a day like this from their very different worldview. People Uh, have problem on Earth,
4: on orbit. Uh, We are like, Uh, we are not like, we are one crew. And I think uh, ISS is like symbol of the friendship and cooperation, and and like symbol of future, of exploration of space. And thank you very much, my crewmates. We are like my space brothers and Space sister. 300, stopping. Communications stopping. We're preparing for landing.
1: We should uh, see the horizon uh, momentarily. There's one of the Russian Mi-8 helicopters. As we stand by for
4: touchdown. Touchdown confirmed at 6.28 a.m. Central Time, 7.28 a.m. Eastern Time, 5.28 p.m. at the landing site. Mark Vande and
1: Pyotr Dubrov back home one year after leaving the planet. Some of the sounds from today's return mission to Earth, as you would only hear on Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington.
4: Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com.
1: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at com.
1: Glad to have you with us on the Fastest Hour in Politics. This is Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington as we reassemble the panel with Rick and Jeannie. Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano. We've talked this out a little bit before, Rick, this idea of a breakup in space. It would be kind of the ultimate symbolism, right? When you go back to when this was first agreed upon, Boris Yeltsin was still running Russia. They were they were shelling the parliament while the NASA director was signing the paperwork on this thing. I guess it would be a fitting ending, wouldn't it?
5: Yeah, I think that uh, space diplomacy uh, may be a thing of the past, at least as it relates to Russia. Uh, Perestroika has been long forgotten. Yeah. I but I also think that you got to you got to be happy by the fact that um, uh, we don't have to use a symbol for space as as a unifier. The rest of the world, Japan, India, uh, you know, as Jeff mentioned, the rest of the world is in space now, and so we've got to find other vehicles to play well with others, whether that's with China or Russia or, or Iran, uh, we, we have to find, uh, ways of not always falling into conflict. Uh, and, and maybe space isn't going to be that in the future, but we got to find other vehicles to do it.
1: You think, uh, the timing is right here for a breakup, Jeannie? It would mean an end to this, uh, experiment we have called the ISS a little bit earlier than planned, uh, but it might also be fitting
6: yeah I mean a space breakup it's so sad Joe. it <laughs> makes me very sad um, hopefully they don't do it by tweet or something um you know <laughs> it, it, it's I'm just listening to Jeff and you talk and you know to imagine they went up there April 9th 2021 and come yeah. back to this I mean who can imagine you know obviously they've gotten the news while they're up there but it you know sure. that long they're up there to come back to this and now to think that this relationship which has been long and and you listen to some of the the you know the NASA asked administration like Bill Nelson and others talk about what a fruitful relationship this has been. You know, I, I do think it's a bit of a loss. It may be time, and if you look at the White House's budget that was released yesterday, you see that there is some funding for commercial space stations they are increasing that and so there may be a movement afoot and certainly sounds like there is to replace the ISS and Mm -hmm. to move in another direction and that may be where we're headed
1: well the fact is we're not look as as we just discussed uh with Jeff this is over in a couple of years no matter what happens with Russia Rick once we go back to the moon as is the plan at the moment I mean we're not going to be cutting any new deals here this is back to the U.S. and space on its own no?
5: Uh, Not necessarily. Uh, There are constant talks with other agencies in the Middle East. Uh, A lot of the uh, Middle Eastern countries, GCC, are getting into the space game. India has become a sort of late entrant and very anxious to create uh, partnerships around space. Uh, As I mentioned, Japan, uh, not to mention the fact that China is already doing their own Platform in space like this, mm-hmm. so uh, I, I don't think it's a solo mission. Uh, and and right now the ISS isn't going anywhere, right? As Jeff mentioned, we pay for it. If the Russians don't want to ride up there, that's fine. We can find our own way there. <laughs> and uh, you know, Elon Musk uh, is is probably the general beneficiary because when they kick out people like OneWeb, uh, who had you know uh, hundreds of light, uh, uh, satellites to launch, mm-hmm. they just go find a ride with somebody else. Uh, right. There's no lock on that business anymore. So. It's it's good for that industry. It's bad for you know sort of the diplomacy side. But mm-hmm. I think you got to look past diplomacy. This is not anymore your mother's space program, right? This is uh, a real market. There's commercial value in it. There's strategic importance to it. It's a moneymaker. Uh, and, uh, and and we've and, got a
1: space force for crying out loud.
5: And we got a space force. When's the
1: first space force briefing going to be anyway? I still I don't I need a, like a space force credential or something. Uh, Jeannie, I'm I'm waiting for the space hotels. I think Jeff Bezos brings the coda to this story.
6: Yeah, yeah, the space hotels. I can't go up. I'm I'm too nervous, but I can watch all of you, you and Rick and everybody go up. I will wave to you. You will have fun in the space hotel. Um, You know, it seems like everybody is going up lately, so I think the time has come.
1: (laughs) So uh, guess who came up in the White House briefing room today? Uh, It's been a while since we've heard somebody actually say the name out loud. Donald Trump. And there's a story about this on the terminal by Mark Niquette, who covers uh, politics for us. White House, blasts Trump just as he tries to temper Putin praise. And I'll tell you what, Kate Bedingfield, the communications director at the White House, was ready for this, even looked down and read her answer. So I'll back up to tell you what this was all about. As you might remember, uh, he's had a lot of nice things to say about Vladimir Putin and even called on him in a recent interview, as he did back in the campaign for Hillary's emails, he called on Vladimir Putin to release information about Hunter Biden and the the contribution that he says the Biden family received from the wife of the mayor of Moscow. This is, I I hope you followed me on that. This is how he put it to something called Real America's Voice.
2: As long as Putin now is not exactly a fan of our country, let him explain where did, because Chris Wallace wouldn't let me ask the question, (laughs) why did the mayor of Moscow's wife give the Bidens, both of them, three and a half million dollars, that's a lot of money, she gave him three and a half million dollars, so now I would think Putin would know the answer to that, I think he should release it, I think we should know that answer.
1: This is like déjà vu, and he doubled down on it. And was
2: sitting at Mar-a-Lago. But why is it that the mayor of Moscow's wife gave the Biden family three and a half million dollars? I think Putin now would be willing to probably give that answer. I'm sure he knows. (laughs) He
1: knows. So this made a bunch of headlines, and you know, came up in the White House briefing today.
3: Any reaction to former President Trump calling on Putin? to release information about Hunter Biden? Are you concerned about that? <laughs> so
5: what I would say about that is what kind of American, let alone an ex-president, thinks that this is the right time to enter into a scheme with Vladimir Putin and brag about his connections to Vladimir Putin? And there is only one, and it's Donald Trump.
1: <clears throat> Donald Trump issues a statement, takes a jab at Morning Joe and who he refers to as his psycho wife, Mika, uh, says... <laughs> I hear that very low-rated Morning Joe thinks I should not be asking Russia what the $3.5 million that Hunter and Joe got from the mayor of Moscow's wife was for. He goes on to write the fake news as also saying, I called Putin a genius when actually to be precise, I called his build-up on the Ukraine border before the war started genius because I assumed he would be easily able to negotiate a great deal for Russia unfortunately he says putin went too far acting on the weak foreign policy of the biden administration but backing off from that of course well he did essentially well he did call him this is from february
2: i went in yesterday and there was a television screen and i said this is genius that's the putin genius declares a big portion of the ukraine of ukraine putin declares it as independent oh that's wonderful so putin <laughs> is now saying it's independent, a large section of Ukraine. I said, how smart is that? And he's going to go in and be a peacekeeper.
1: Well, he didn't end up turning out to be. That was on the Clay Travis Buck Sexton show. Rick and Jeannie, of course, are with us here. Rick, does this actually imply, I mean, we can get at this from a couple of different angles, but that he's really starting to feel some heat on this Putin issue as he's endorsing candidates in the midterms?
5: Uh, I, I don't know what it implies. The Within more the talks, Republican Party. Yeah, the more he talks about it, the more ugly it gets. Um, you know, th- there is a clear connection between the disinformation that Putin's putting out and an effort to try and penetrate conservative Republicans. You know, we've had a lot of conversation around that with Tucker Carlson and some of what he said. Yeah. And, and, and Donald Trump, you know, former president, is just aping the Putin line on disinformation. So, uh, you know, honestly, I think a lot of Republicans are really nervous about his continued embrace of Vladimir Putin as Mm. Vladimir Putin becomes more and more accepted as a global war criminal. And uh, there's no exit ramp for this. There's nothing that Donald Trump can say to make it less sticky to him that he's betrayed Americans uh, in the process of embracing Putin. So uh, I I think this will be one of the reasons why a lot of Republicans aren't going to want him to come to their state or campaign with him or endorse him. And, uh, and I think that th- this is a drumbeat for the future of the party where people are going to actually have to make a decision within the Republican Party whether they are going to tolerate this kind of thing or whether they're going to march in a different place.
1: Kind of incredible. Maybe it's not, Jeannie, to hear him call for Vladimir Putin to release intelligence about, th- about an American president and his son uh, having heard exactly the same thing doing the, the, uh, with, with the Hillary emails. But this was tape that loomed large in his impeachment trial. Why go there again?
6: Well, because he's Donald Trump and because he doesn't listen to people like Rick Davis who tell him the reality (laughs) is, is that if he wanted Republicans to win, if he himself wanted to be thought of as a candidate for 2024, he would keep out of the headlines because this is going to help the Democrats. There's nobody this helps except the Democrats to keep talking Mm. about Donald Trump. And, you know, it's so curious to me, this statement he released today saying Putin went too far. Of course, he did call him a genius. Now he's walking that back. But he's also asking for Putin for help. So if he's asking Putin for help, he's got to be very careful about saying Putin went too far. The entire message is ridiculous. Putin said in October of 2020 that he's unaware of any business ties between the the uh, the, the wife of the mayor of Moscow and Hunter Biden. This came out of a Senate report that's been discredited, yeah. and yet he's raising it because he thinks it helps him personally, but all it's going to do is help Democrats in the midterm when they should have a very tough midterm. He's the only thing that can help him make it a little less painful.
1: Man, I'll tell you something. It's just, I guess as long as there's an open microphone here, uh, are we going to hear a different stump speech on this next, Rick? We're, we're almost out of time, but I suspect that this is the beginning of a new narrative for Trump.
5: Yeah, I think, well, this is this is the, the narrative of the week. Uh, and I think every time you uh, hear a rally from him, he goes yeah. off on some grievance and I'm sure he'll have a new one by next week.
1: Rick and Jeannie, great as ever. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors make up our signature panel. Part of the reason why you listen here every day. It's part of the reason why I show up, too. And Renita Young, who we hear about. Gosh, what do we just have one left? Significant moments in women's history this Women's History Month. Here's Renita now.
0: On this day in women's history in 1911... Ellen Swallow Richards dies. She was the first woman admitted to the Massachusetts Institute of Technology earning her Bachelor of Science in 1873. Two years later, Swallow Richards appealed to the Women's Education Association of Boston for their help in establishing a laboratory at MIT available for instructing women in chemistry. So the Women's Laboratory opened in 1876. Swallow Richards became MIT's first female instructor, teaching in chemistry and mineralogy in the women's laboratory until it closed in 1833. Swallow Richards was also a chemist and founder of the home economics movement in the United States. That's Today in Women's History. I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Radio.
1: Renita, thanks as well to everyone on the fastest hour in politics today Congressman Brian Higgins, our panel, of course, Rick and Jeannie and Jeff Wise. If you're just showing up late today, make sure you subscribe to the Sound On podcast and I'll meet you back here tomorrow. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg.